0: If you're a leader with managers reporting to you, I want to ask you a few questions to ask yourself. Does your leadership team work seamlessly together? Are they focused and organized? Do they function well or fight each other? Do they communicate effectively, or are they cloaked with confusion? Do they make decisions efficiently and effectively? Are they hiring, training, and keeping the best talent? If someone leaves, do you have an A player waiting on the bench? Well, if you can't answer yes to all the above, then perhaps I can help you and your team. I help leadership teams work together harmoniously and achieve greater business results. If you want a a free assessment and a discussion, just email me, steve at managermojo.com. Tell me you'd like to to chat for a little bit and we'll schedule a call. Thank you. That's steve at managermojo.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I want to introduce my special guest today, Mr. John Kolko. Now, John is the author of Creative Clarity, a practical guide for bringing creative thinking into your company. Now, uh, John was previously vice president of design at Blackboard. He's worked extensively with startups and Fortune 500s. Uh, He's also served as a professor at numerous colleges, including the University of Texas at at, uh, Austin. Uh, So, John, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. So glad to have you here today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hi, everybody.
0: Uh it's our pleasure to have you here and John we're I'm looking forward to talking about creative clarity. Uh before we do that, uh why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work?
1: Oh, okay. Uh well it's fun but it's also trying sometimes. I'm learning how to play the sitar, uh which if you're not familiar with that it's an Indian instrument, uh it's it's only vaguely like playing the guitar uh, of which I have no experience. So I've uh, I've sort of dove deep uh, deep in and uh, on month five or six and and I'm at the point where my cats don't run screaming out of the room when I pick the thing up so <laughs>
0: we're making
1: we're making progress slowly but surely. Uh, I I,
0: <laughs> I can relate to that. I, I did myself try to learn how to play the guitar, not the sitar. Uh, and, uh, it was, it was, uh, very uh, sad, but, uh, you know, you just keep <laughs> practicing and you get a little bit better as time goes on. So, uh, well, you know,
1: it's not just a hobby either. It, uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually, it, it's interesting. Um, I've been trying to push myself to do things that I'm not very good at because this sounds arrogant and I don't mean it to come across that way, but you reach a level of expertise in your career where, uh, you know, things are are sort of autotelic automatic, and there's not a lot of challenge there. This has been really humbling for me, and it makes me remember what my students go through uh, when I'm helping them learn design and product management. So it's been, it's been eye-opening from that perspective as well.
0: I totally get that, John. And, and uh, just so you know, uh, I am one of those people that has absolutely no real creative brain in my body, I don't believe, I, I wonder <laughs> where it goes. Uh, I'm, I, I'm more of an analytical kind of guy and uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I've really been looking forward to talking with you today about creative clarity because I, I think that a lot of uh, people in, in our audience, uh, people that are leading teams and leading companies, I think we all struggle with creativity and it, yet we know it's essential in our business. And uh, but we don't really know uh, how to deal with those individuals. So uh, when, when I say that, what I'm saying is that uh, those others that are not naturally creative, I don't think we really even understand much about the process and I really loved your book because it kind of laid out the platform of how people really go about being creative. So in, in your book, you titled it Creative Clarity And you make the statement that most companies don't know what uh, creativity really is. uh, So they can't benefit from it. And so what I'd like to do to begin with is just let's set the platform for those of us uh, that are like me and, uh, and, and really not good in this area. How about helping us understand what is creativity? What does it really look like in a business world?
1: Sure. And, and, you know, none of these things have sort of a pat answer. But when I think about creativity and try to describe my perspective on it, uh, I think of it as a form of dreaming. um, And and that's sort of at a raw level, um, dreaming of the future that doesn't yet exist. Um, But, you know, that's very loosey-goosey. And when you drop that into a business world, I think it's typically associated with ideas of innovation. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not to say they're one and the same, but it's difficult to come up with something new. Uh, If you if you don't have sort of that ability to dream of the future, a future that doesn't yet exist. And and so um, I think one of the things companies who maybe would claim to not be traditionally creative struggle with is that uh, they find themselves in some degree of commodity uh, sort of commodity operations uh, where they they're doing stuff they've always done or they're doing stuff over and over. um, And they're not really able to to bring new offerings, new products, new services or new methods uh, to fruition. Um, what I've seen a lot of those companies do is they hire, they hire firms. I mean, I'll trumpet mine, right? They hire, they mm, hire sure. consultancies like mine, and that's nice, and that works. But if you really want to institutionalize the ability to drive new innovations, really bring in that creativity in-house uh, becomes a fun- fundamental skill, really just like any other fundamental skill, uh, like accounting or like uh, project management or like software development or anything else.
0: Well, uh, I hear what you're saying, and I and I think intellectually I can somewhat understand it from a a standpoint of uh, dreaming, but I can't help but thinking uh, think about a lot of managers probably thinking, you know, my gosh, my people dream enough now. I need them to get stuff done, (laughs) Uh, so uh, so I wanna. Uh, I, I know you're talking about a specific discipline, the discipline of creativity when it comes to designing products and, and services for your customers, and uh, so you, you talk about, uh, in, in the book, you talk about uh, actually creating what you called a creative strategy. And I really liked that uh, that idea because it implies people like me that are not naturally good at, at this process of creativity might be able to learn a little bit more about how to work with those that really do have that creative bent. Would you mind just expounding on that a little bit and helping our listeners understand what you mean by a creative strategy?
1: Yeah, I sure will. And let me let me sort of talk through the process very quickly of what typically that looks like to bring that to life. And then I'll talk a little bit about some of the challenges that I've seen companies hate when they try to institutionalize this. Um, for us, a design strategy or a creative strategy typically starts with understanding people. Uh, and you know, we can do that a variety of different ways, but uh, we like to actually go hang out with them. Uh, sometimes this is called qualitative or ethnogra- uh, ethnographic research. Um, it's a little different than market research because you really want to see what people do. So you observe their behavior. Um, And so there's there's all sorts of challenges and nuances to that, but once once you've done that, you can start to arrive at insights about behavior, and those can translate into new innovation ideas. Um, From that, we sketch those, so we draw over and over and over, and sometimes these are diagrams, and sometimes they're visualizations of products, if they're physical, they're sketches, or if they're digital, they're screens. Um, And then we iterate on them and critique them, and that process goes on uh, forever. (laughs) Um, It goes on until sort of the adults come in and drop in a schedule on top of it. Um, And that creative process that I just described is actually pretty repeatable, but there's some really big challenges that creep up there when when, um, companies try to grab onto this. Um, The first is the idea of spending time with people um, can be uh, timeless, so to speak. Um, It's hard to put a boundary around how long should I spend with somebody in order to claim expertise in that area. And I'll give you an example. Uh, me and my team spent some time uh, learning about aviation, uh, working with an aviation client. Um, and so we went and spent time uh, at airports um, on the back of the house. And so we were, we sort of had free reign of airports in uh, San Jose and in Switzerland. Uh, and, you know, that, that alone has sort of your legal sort of like alarms should be going off there, a bunch of kids running around an airport. But nevertheless, <laughs> we're watching the baggage handlers. We're watching the people pushing back the planes. We're talking to the pilots. And, we're just learning, right? I mean, we're we're learning and empathizing with the people uh, that work there. And there's no, there's no idea of being done. You don't get to a point where I am now an expert in airports. And so really what ends up happening is you run out of time. And so there's your first challenge um, when you're trying to bring creativity in-house is that it takes an infinite amount of time. And we don't have an infinite amount of time, which means that we have to put up artificial constraints around it. And so there's the trade-off there that we can talk through. Um, the second big sort of challenge that people run into, I think, is the idea of arriving at an insight. And an insight is a provocative statement of truth about human behavior. It's qualitative and it's purposely biased. Uh, it's not based on statistically significant research. We haven't gathered uh, unbiased data. We haven't done uh, you know, a mass survey. But we're going to make assertions about what people do and what products we should build. And they're going to be based on that research that we conducted. And so there's a second point where companies sort of cringe. They go, well, wait a second. We don't have enough data to prove that what you're coming up with will work. And so the challenge there is is no, you don't because it's an innovation. And how do we get through that? And we talk through that. And then the third third and final sort of big hiccup that I think companies hit on is during that ideation phase when people are drawing, uh, sketching new ideas of the future, Uh, They don't really know how to respond to them Um, and so you end up with either a top-down sort of like that's the one I like we're doing that coming from the boss, right? Um, Or you have uh, Anarchy which is sort of no rules around it at all and nothing actually ever ships Uh, And so that's the third big challenge that I think companies hit on when they try to adopt that creative process
0: well, uh, that's a a great uh, summary of the whole process uh, and, and I think I think that's very valuable for all of us to think about but uh, one additional thing that I maybe I should ask this first if if we actually understand uh, and apply creative clarity uh, what would be uh, a, a couple of outcomes that we might be able to receive if we actually institute something like strategic uh uh, a strategic creative strategy in our, in our business. What are, would be some of those uh, outcomes?
1: You know, I think the biggest one is to convert to be a market driver. Uh, I think a lot of us find ourselves in companies that are following the pack or maybe you know, sustaining. Um, and so we're doing a fast follow model, but if we really wanna be driving the entire, the entire segment or creating new segments, it has to come from something that doesn't yet exist. This isn't features bolted onto existing products. It's sort of brand new ideas. And that's really the outcome of of finding creative clarity. Um, Along the way, there's all these added uh, added benefits, which are also outcome-based. One is you end up with a creative culture. And that means that, you know, you started by saying, I don't have a creative bone in my body. And that may or may not be true. But if you worked in a creative culture, you can't help but begin to adopt that way of thinking. And so you end up with a very strong cultural change uh, where the organization over time becomes one that is known for creativity. Uh, you know, when you sort of close your eyes and think about companies and you go, all right, well, I have the, uh, you know, I have the staid old companies, the, to throw them under the bus, the Exxon's and the mobile, you know, the, um, uh, life insurance companies, and the, you know, there's sort of like this old guard and then you have the new companies like Google and Apple and Facebook, everybody wants to be like that. Um, it, I don't, and I think it's sort of a false dichotomy, but what they've done is created the appearance of a creative culture. And I think that you can start to drive that appearance, attract creative talent, and slowly your culture does change. So I think those are the really big outcomes around adopting a creative stance in your company.
0: Well, I, I think they're great outcomes. And uh, I, I know that uh, you talk about this in the book, and I, I just want to bring it out to our listeners. Uh, because they've, they've heard us uh, on this show and heard many uh, authors, thought leaders, uh, share that uh, as leaders of teams, uh, you have to allow for uh, creative uh, suggestions. You have to allow for a uh, difference of opinion in people. And uh, I, I think that's really uh, powerful whenever you're, you're talking about creative people. Uh, and you used examples where you know about why it was so important so share share with our people here uh, you know what what is that really going to help your team do and and ultimately your company or division do
1: well ultimately it's, it's ultimately it's about creative conflict uh, and that that sounds terrible. It sounds like oh conflict is bad, but actually out of a creative conflict comes a stronger creative resolution um, the I think the the sort of world that has master this the best is actually art, uh, and particularly art school. When you go to art school, you have a critique, and everybody pins their paintings up or whatever it is they made, and uh, as a group and and the professor, you go around and you talk about what's wrong with them, Um, and so there's conflict, and and out of that comes a resolution of growth, Um, and so one of the things we do as a technique to actually improve the work in the organizations that I run or are are part of uh, is we institute critique. Um, a critique is a certain kind of meeting and it has specific rules Um, one of the rules is somebody has to bring an artifact Uh, and that sounds really silly but it means that you can't just be talking about you know in the ether uh, or sketching quickly on a whiteboard you have to have made something Um, and then that something is presented and it's not defended and this is the key rule the person who made it articulates what it is and talks through how it works and then they shut up and they sit back Um, and the rest of the group talks about areas that it can be improved and what's really tempting there is the person who made it wants to just jump in and explain and defend and rationalize but a rule for critique is you don't you just be quiet i'm sure you can clarify things if people have questions but you take notes and you sit there and you absorb it and then the meeting's over and you go away and you reflect on it and it doesn't mean you have to do everything everybody said and so there's the there's the balance of how a critique works is It it provides negative criticism, which positively influences the idea, and the person who made the thing uh, retains creative control over it. Uh, And that becomes really, really important, particularly in a hierarchical culture um, where people may not feel like they have that autonomy to make decisions.
0: Well, uh, I think we we actually reinforce that environment where people don't feel comfortable doing it because all I could think about when you're talking about that was – uh, I've worked with people that, uh, I mean holy smokes, they shut down discussion so fast. Uh, any idea that wasn't theirs or was different from what they expected it to be, they were ready to kill it. Uh, or if they were presenting their own idea, another, and, other, and, and uh, I've shared that uh, this before with our listeners, but I had an instance where uh, an executive presented, uh, what he had already determined was an outcome to solve a problem. It was his uh, his solution, his creative solution, if you will. And uh, in doing the critique that you're describing, I mean, I was giving my opinions and I, I didn't really, uh, it couldn't really see uh, where uh, it was solving the problem that he said it was going to solve. Uh, obviously, that didn't go too well. That, 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 uh, that, hard, uh, top down <laughs> thinking, uh, you know, he, he, just shut it down. And, and, and I, have got to tell you that, uh, I, I can't help but wonder if, uh, in so many of our businesses that uh, we're, we're in such a rush to, to do something or get something done or take an action that we actually shut down this idea of creativity without even knowing we do it. Is that an accurate perception on my part?
1: Oh, yeah, I think it sure is. Um, I think, you know, the idea of rushing, time to market, rushing and really pushing uh, is at the expense of ideation and creative exploration. Um, and, and again, those are terms that are fuzzy and they imply that like a creative person is just hanging around. Um, and in fact, they might be, right? And that's what's so difficult about managing creative people uh, is that when you look over at their screens and they're surfing Facebook and watching videos on YouTube and, you know, screwing around. In fact, they, they're they actually working, and it's really hard to rationalize um, because they're, they're, their brain is, is sort of churning around on a problem. Uh, and one of the things that I came to realize when I became a creative director at a company called Frog Design uh, is that when my employees would come in at noon and leave at two, and then sometimes they'd come in and be there for 48 hours in a row, and they'd sleep under their desk, and they'd do all this weird stuff, it, it's part of their process. Um, and that doesn't mean that anything goes. But, but what it does mean is that the company needs to accept a level of um, eccentricity. And that also doesn't mean that all creative people are crazy. <laughs> um, and that's a common misperception, too, that, you know, you, all, you have to hire people with blue hair and, you know, lots of piercings in their face. Um, but it does mean that on the way to coming up with good ideas, there's all sort of crazy paths. Um, and so when you talk about this idea of shutting an idea down – that type of behavior is a rule, right? It's an an implicit rule that hierarchy matters. Uh, There's explicit rules too. Some companies say you can't put things on the wall or you have to leave at five uh, or you can't install software on your computer. And all of those things probably have good rationale behind them, but rules like that, both explicit and hierarchical, tell somebody, don't explore. They say, don't try new things. Worry about failing. And those things are antithetical to the idea of creativity.
0: I couldn't agree more. I, and, and I have to admit that I, I plead guilty to doing all of the wrong things uh, early in my career because <laughs> I, I just I just didn't understand. I mean, I, I didn't understand the process uh, of uh, creativity. I, I, I think I'm one of those people that... Uh, you know, you open up the new thing and you look at the directions and you assemble it in a paint-by-numbers kind of way. I think that's kind of the way <laughs> that I thought, and it, it, you know, I didn't really consider that uh, other people thought differently about it. Now, I, I want to go back to something you said in the book that really struck me, and I think it's a problem for a lot of people. It's not just me, I'm I personally related to it right away. Uh, and that was when uh, it was related to critiquing work. But when you're doing a uh, some type of creative solution, problem solving, whatever you're doing here, uh, you called the, the beginning of that, you called it a fuzzy front end because it lacked clarity and structure. Now that, that concept of fuzzy front end, for, for those of us that are like me, how do we get away Uh, or know at some point we're gonna get away from fuzzy to something that's more uh, visually uh, understandable by the rest of us.
1: Yeah, and I think that comes with embracing this idea of iteration. Uh, When you watch a creative person work, particularly if you watch a designer or a developer, uh, they start and they make something, and then they respond to what they make and they make it again. And then they do it again and again and again. And over time, something starts to emerge um, but you can put you can put maturity around that. Sometimes I like to call it like the adult step in. So you can add boundaries to that. And one of the things that I found that's super effective is creative people thrive if they're within constraints. Constraints are different than requirements. A requirement is going to be this top-down thing, an edict that says you know it has to have the following ten features, and it has to be blue, and it has to be this big. But a constraint is going to be something that emerges from the work itself. And so that might mean as the person goes through that fuzzy front end and they start to create uh, explorations, as a manager, you can help them articulate what constraints are emerging. And so that might be as the person starts to draw something, you say, well, it's starting to feel like there's this uh, information architecture structure around the navigation system. Uh, So why don't we start to formalize that and say, this begins to be the constraint. This is the way that navigation is going to work. And so slowly over time, those constraints harden and they're flexible, but they become more and more and more concrete over time. I think that changes the role of the manager or the director from I'm the one who has the answer to being I'm the one who can help you see when things are crisp enough that you can call them done.
0: Love that. That's a great explanation. That, that actually helps me a lot as well, John. Uh, thank you for that explanation. Uh, I know that our listeners are going to want to know much more about your work, John. uh, Why don't you share with them how they could connect with you and find out more about the work that you do with companies?
1: Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. I run a consultancy called Modernist Studio, www.moderniststudio.com, where we help companies work through creative problem solving like this. Um, I do a lot of writing at um, johnkolko.com. My name is J-O-N-K-O-L-K-O. Dot com and um, there's um, a lot of free writing about the way that I'm just thinking about the world. And then, finally, I tweet at J-K-O-L-K-O on Twitter. Um, and uh, I think, for me, I really uh, like engaging with people and understanding if the things I'm writing and the things I'm doing uh, make sense to them. And so if you do end up buying the book or reading it or even reading some of the stuff on my site, I'd love to engage in a conversation with you uh, through, a, through a medium like Twitter and really understand if these things resonate with you or if you find them, Uh, you know, appropriate to your to your personal
0: world. Well, and I encourage all of us to uh, get a copy of the book if, if for no other reason, uh, I I love the charts uh, and designs that you have in the book. And my favorite was showing how a creative person thinks and uh, when they get to critique, the next step in their process is they're weaving all over, uh, all over the page, was pissed off. And uh, I was like, you know, I'll bet I've done that to a lot of people in my life. So uh, I, I could relate to that. John, that, uh, I love the drawings because it really does help, help you understand that this process of creativity is not a linear process. It, it's got to be, uh, you've got to be allowed... Uh, to dream about the possible in order to improve where you are today and i think we all can benefit from that kind of thinking because it makes us better as human beings Uh, so uh, john uh, everybody here at manager mojo knows that i I love uh, for my guests to give us a a couple of action items that we can take to begin to go apply some of the wonderful lessons that you've shared with us today Uh, If you would, why don't you share uh, what would be maybe your top two action items if we were to take, we'd learn how to be more creative ourselves or more accepting of creativity.
1: Um, Sure, and and it might just be one, actually, because it's probably the most important thing, and I've seen it work over and over and over, but it's super hard, which is that culture of criticism uh, both comes bottom-up, obviously, by by hiring you know creative people, but it happens top-down, too. Um, and it doesn't just happen on visual artifacts. And so as a leader, if you're an executive or director, think about what it would mean to invite a critique about, say, a PowerPoint deck or a spreadsheet or a new business plan or a proposal, something that isn't necessarily visual but is highly creative. And if we were going to follow the process I talked about, and let's say you have you know, a, a go, go-to-market strategy, 10-page PowerPoint presentation, uh, I would print it out, I would post it on the wall, I'd gather colleagues who are involved in it, and I'd walk them through it and explain it, and then I would shut up, and I'd sit in the back, and I'd take notes. And I'd ask them to tell me a little bit about things that aren't working and how they'd improve it, things that they thought were, uh, were incorrect or sloppy or could use further work, and I wouldn't say a word. And that does a couple of things. One is obviously it lets you try the technique, and I think your, you know, your, your deck would improve from that. But the other is it signals to the group and eventually to the company that this is the type of culture you want to have. You want to have one where it's okay to come in and say something bad about somebody's work, and it doesn't mean you're saying something bad about them. Uh, by doing that as a leader, it, it's, it's super humbling, but it also is a big, big signal. Uh,
0: I, I think that is one awesome Action item, and one that I, I caution you listeners uh, it sure is not as easy as it sounds. Uh, it's, it can be very tough, and especially if you have someone in the room that's really uh, not, not being very supportive, that they're just really uh, kind of trashing whatever you did. Uh if anything, I think that can be a, a great learning process in its own. Uh I know I have had that, John. Uh with uh, you mentioned PowerPoint and I almost burst out laughing at loud. Uh I did that very thing with a PowerPoint and this uh guy that was uh a uh superior to me, uh he he hated my PowerPoint. Uh, it, it, and uh, basically derided my PowerPoint skills, which he was right. They re- really were poor, but it didn't make me more creative. What it did is uh, the creativity stopped by saying, okay, I'm going to get somebody else to do this PowerPoint. <laughs> and mm-hmm. So I didn't yeah. really learn a heck of a lot from it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and so when you, when you do the process that you mentioned in your book and in and, and our action item, I know we're all going to benefit from that. So, John, thank you so much for your wisdom today. It's been really wonderful having a conversation with you. My guest today is John Kolko. He's the author of Creative Clarity. Uh, It's a practical guide for bringing creative thinking into your company. We all need more uh, creative thinking. He's also a partner at Modernist Studio. And I encourage you, go get his book. It will make you think. Uh, You might even chuckle as I did when you were thinking about the times in your own past when maybe you either shut down creativity or maybe you even encouraged it and you didn't even know you were doing it. So, John, thank you so much. And we wish you nothing but continued success here at Manager Mojo. And thanks again for being with us today.
1: Oh, thanks so much. I really
0: appreciate it.